Well, hello and good morning to everyone, whether you are here in person or you're online, welcome and thanks for joining. Um, if you're able, why don't you stand as we go into some worship this morning, as we sing these songs to God. rising eyes are turning to you we turn to you hope is stirring hearts are yearning for you we long for you when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all. Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Hear the sound of hearts returning to you. We turn to you, and in your kingdom, broken lives are made new. You make us new, because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna. Come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day and in your presence all our fears are washed away washed away and Hosanna Hosanna you are the God who saves us worthy of all our praises Hosanna, 
Come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. And just one word, the darkness has to retreat. In just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. And just one touch. My eyes are open to see, my heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that He can't move. Well, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Just one word. You heal what's broken inside me. Just one touch, you will revive every dream. And just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. And just one touch, my eyes are open to see. My heart can't help but believe There's nothing that our God can't do There's not a mountain that He can't move Oh, praise the name that makes a way There's nothing that our God can't do There's nothing that our God can't do There's not a prison wall He can't break through Praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. And I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like His power. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that He can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. 
There's nothing that our God can't do. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a prison wall He can't break through. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that He can move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a prison wall He can't break through. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Amen. Good morning. Why don't you say hello to somebody? And uh, before you're seated this morning. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Evangel today on this beautiful, sunny February morning. We're glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us in person. For those of you who are joining us online, thank you for joining us online. We're delighted that you're with us as well. If you're in the building and it is your first time here, uh, we want to extend a warm welcome to you. We want to extend our assistance and help if we can in any way. And uh, you can find a connection card in the pew chair in front of you. If you fill that out and take it to the information desk, you can leave it there. There's a small gift there for you. And uh, we'll do our best to help you in any way that we can. Well, what a great week coming up. I just have a little bit of Valentine's advice. A little bit of Valentine's advice because I'm an expert romantic. Just not. Yeah. Um, so if you wanted to do a grand gesture this year, I'm thinking this is probably not the year for a hot air balloon ride. Just putting that out there. I think you should probably avoid that this year, maybe next year or whatever, but just, just not this year. Okay, that's my, that's my advice for you today. Uh, I do have a number of announcements and important announcements nonetheless as well. And uh, just want to let you know that our annual business meeting is scheduled for Sunday, March the 26th at 1130 a.m. That's a Sunday and it will be right after we end the service, short break, and then we'll go right into our annual business meeting. So make sure you put that in your calendar if you are a member if you're not a member, you can put in your calendar, reminder, apply for membership. But uh, for those of you who are members, uh, and anyone is welcome to attend, but of course only members can participate in voting and so on. So just to let you know. So annual business meeting, Sunday, March 26 at 11.30 a.m. Also, nominations for a bin council are now open. Every year, two spaces become vacant, and, um, and we vote at our annual meeting to fill those two spaces. And so uh, nominations are now open. For those of you who uh, we have email addresses for you, uh, an email was sent to you this morning that allows you to click a link and do it online. And for those of you who do not have access to email or would you would prefer to do it in person, in the foyer on the bulletin board is a list of members 
Also, there is a list of qualifications, and on the, next to the information desk, there are forms that you can fill out, make sure your name is legible in the signature uh, aspect so we can verify that you are a member, and you can fold that and put it inside the little black box that's in the foyer. So you can do your nominations two ways, in person here at the back, or clicking that link online. And if there are multiple people in your home that are members, they can click the same link. And so um, just make sure you make the most of that opportunity and that will be open until Sunday, February 26th and then nominations will close. Last week we mentioned that Perfect Peace Ministry would be doing an event here on the Friday evening, uh, February 24th and that they're inviting you to uh, bring any items that you would like to donate for that event, and, uh, and you can place them in the coat room area in the foyer. I see things are already beginning to pile up out there, so you can do that uh, today, and also next Sunday, and then the following Friday will be uh, the event. So just make sure you keep that in mind. If you have larger items, just let Rhoda know, and they'll arrange to come by and actually pick them up for you. Also on Sunday, February the 26th, we'll be, we'll be hosting a pancake brunch uh, after the service, and uh, it is based, we will not be taking money in advance, we're asking for a suggested $5 donation, if you don't have that, you're still welcome to come, and when you go up into Stewart Hall on the day of the brunch, you can just drop that uh, at, the, uh, at a table there and, uh, and proceed, and if you are not able to pay that, then you just proceed. And, uh, but we do need you to sign up. So if you're planning on coming, please sign up, you and your family. Put that on the list because we need to be able to prepare for the number of people who are coming. So if you haven't done that yet, I know a number of people did it last week, but if you haven't done that yet, uh, please do that. Next Sunday will be the last opportunity to do that as well. I'm going to invite our ushers to proceed to, to take our morning offering. Kids, newborn to age Three, there's a nursery available at all times, and age four up to grade five, you are free to go. Come around the side, meet your volunteers over here to the side, and they will take you out. God bless you, and uh, we'll chat a little later. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's love. 
stand as we just continue this morning. And God, I look to you, I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. And God, I look to you, you're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. 
You know just what to do And God, I look to you I won't be overwhelmed Give me vision To see things like you do And God, I look to you You're where my help comes from Give me wisdom You know just what to do I will love you, Lord, my strength I will love you, Lord, my shield And I will love you, Lord, my rock Forever all my days I will love you, God Sing, I will love Breathing 
sun to shine on darkest nights. For all that you've done, we will pour out our love. This will be our anthem song. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Hopeless have found their hope. The orphans now have a home. All that was lost has found its place in you. You lift our weary head, and you make us strong. Instead, you took these rags and made us than we've done we will pour out love this will be our anthem song oh, Jesus we love you oh how we love you you are the one our hearts adore We love you, and oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore, our hearts adore.
sing, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one in our hearts adore. Yes, Jesus, we thank you for the fact that that you love us so much so much so that you would give your son to die for us that the penalty that was meant for us that that you would send your son to to stand in our place to wash the slate clean and so in turn God we declare that we love you this morning that Jesus we love you that we owe our lives to you, that we, that we love you with every part of our lives, that it would be worship unto you, that every part of our lives would be pointed towards you, would be centered on you, would be an offering to you, God. So thank you, Lord, for, for your love this morning, God. Thank you for your love that that knows no bounds, God. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. So this morning as we move into the rest of the service, God, would you just continue to move in this place? Would you continue to speak to us? Lord, would you bless Pastor Shannon as he brings the word, as he's what he's prepared, Lord, would it be 
but it'd be something that you've laid on his heart and that you are now going to speak through him to each and every one of us, that we'd be encouraged, that we would learn, that we would grow close to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is probably a little unusual, so don't storm out until I'm finished. Ephesians 5, 22 to 23. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Words are powerful. And because words are powerful, how we use them is really important. Words can encourage us and words can tear us down. Words can make us feel valuable and words can make us feel worthless. Words can make us feel safe and words can make us feel threatened. Words can welcome us and words can reject us. Words wrongly used can reinforce stereotypes and prejudice and discrimination. Words matter. Words matter. Cultural context impacts how we understand words. So as an example, and I often use this as an example of words in different contexts, In the province of Ontario, if someone was to come up to you after the service today and invite you over for dinner on Friday, we would assume that they're referring to the evening meal. And you would decide whether or not you're available based on your availability at that time of day. However, if you were in the province of Newfoundland, And someone came up to you after the service on Sunday and said, can you come for dinner on Friday? Well, they would be referring to the noon meal. Because in Ontario, we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. In Newfoundland, we eat breakfast, dinner, and supper. And lunch is what you eat in the woods or on a boat or as a snack before you go to bed. Same word, completely different contextual understanding. What words are used and how these words are used in a sentence impact the intended meaning of words. And so, as an example, if I use these eight words in a sentence like this, I love cooking my family and friends, that is a very different meaning than if I use it like this. I like cooking my family and my friends. Yes, I'm a believer in the Oxford comma. That's why there is one, an additional one in there for those of you who that's an issue for. The rest of you probably don't even know what I'm talking about because it's not an issue for you. God bless you. That's good. The Bible is a collection of words that have specific meanings, that are grouped together in specific sentences and paragraphs to communicate specific ideas in a specific specific context. And so if we don't pay attention to the intention of these 
words that are so carefully chosen and these sentences within the cultural context from which they were written, we will likely end up with a very different meaning than what was originally intended. And so today we are continuing our series entitled Promise Book Passages as we explore some of the most common scriptures that are taken out of context, attempting to understand them within the context that they were intended to be understood. And so today we're focusing on Ephesians chapter 5, and as I read this morning, uh, verses 20, 20, 20 and 23, they're verses that followers of Jesus often associate with the hierarchy of leadership within families. Oftentimes, this is the go-to, these are the go-to verses to establish the hierarchy of leadership within families, the patriarchal chain of command, if, if you will. And our goal today is to understand the Apostle Paul's words in the context that he intended them to be understood so we can discover what it is that he's actually saying here. And as we do, I believe we'll discover that this verse is not about the need for women to submit to the authority of men within the context of marriage. I, I don't believe this verse is about that. And so today we will carefully consider the words that Paul used, the way he put those words together in sentences and how these paragraphs flow in his context to understand the message. So let's start with the context. To understand our scripture today, we actually need to go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 4 of the letter to, that Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Paul was reminding them of the importance of unity within the community of faith. He reminded them that the community of faith, the church, is a body. And he reminded them that there is, there is only one body. He says there's only one body because there's only one spirit. There's only one Lord. There's only one God. There's only one hope. There's one body. And so within the body, within the community of faith, God's grace has been given to each individual within the body of Christ. And as a result, they should demonstrate unity as a body by being humble and gentle, patient, loving each other. And so he's, he's really reiterating the importance of unity in the body of Christ. And Paul reminded them that Jesus is the head of the body. So the body, the community of faith, the church, it's a body, and the head of the church is, is Jesus. And as they support and love one another, Paul says they will grow to become like him. And he then reminded them that this community, this body, is located and exists within a culture, within a world that is filled with people who are living in darkness. They lack spiritual understanding. They've not experienced the light of Jesus shining on their lives. And so Paul reminded them that God's community, the, the church, shines the light of Jesus 
on those who are unwanted and unfortunate and those in darkness and demonstrates love and care for them. Followers of Jesus introduce Jesus to those who are living in darkness. The followers of Jesus make the invisible visible. Those in darkness can see Jesus through the lives of those who are living in unity in the community of faith. And so he's showing them that when the church lives in true unity and community, Jesus is seen and his light shines on the dark culture around. Now for the community of faith to successfully shine the light of Jesus on the dark world, Paul reminded them that they needed to be a community filled with the Spirit, which takes us to the verses just before our passage today. This, these words, be filled, is plural. This is plural in the Greek, and what he's saying is all of them, every single one of them, the whole group that make up the community of faith needs to be filled with the Spirit. Because being filled with the Spirit brings the community together in celebration and mission. And then Paul gave examples. Now, this is not all of the examples of what a Spirit-filled community looks like, but he gave some examples of what a Spirit-filled community looks like. And and so he says they, they come together to sing songs of praise and psalms and hymns. They come together to give thanks to God for what He's done in their lives. Testimony. To submit to, and the final one, he says, and to submit to one another and serve each other out of reverence for Christ. So, Paul here, this, this is, these are the examples he's giving of what a Spirit-filled community looks like. And so, if the community of faith is the body of Jesus... And Jesus is the head of that body, they should follow that example and submit to one another. A spirit-filled community creates a desire to give to one another, to build up one another, to love one another, to give oneself for another. Now, what's interesting is, or I think it is, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 18 to 21 is actually Uh, one long sentence in the Greek language outlining what a spirit-filled community that shines light in the darkness looks like with Paul's intentions here. Now, since submission is such an important theme in this chapter, it's important for us to understand that Paul clearly states that a spirit-filled community is one where the members of the community submit to one another. And their example of this is Jesus, who emptied himself, who humbled himself, who became obedient even to death for others. And so what Paul is saying here is that there is no room in the community of faith, there is no room in the church for superiority or arrogance when it is a spirit-filled community. Paul is arguing that all are equal in a spirit-filled community. 
So that's the context of where we've been so far. Second thing we're going to talk about, submission. Because Paul understood the culture of his time, that it was a culture where men held superior social positions, a culture where the treatment of those deemed lesser went against what it meant to be a spirit-filled community, Paul continues his writing by addressing three examples of household relationships that would have been very familiar to the people he was writing to, that needed to be understood, reframed, if you would, in light of being a spirit-filled community, within the need for mutual submission. What does that look like? And so he starts with husbands and wives. And you'll notice if you read further, you'll eventually get to parents and children. And eventually he'll get to masters and slaves. Or servants and slaves. Masters and servants, whichever way you want to look at that. In the first century, women were dominated by men. They didn't have rights. They lacked equality. They were considered the property of their husbands. Marriages most often were prearranged based on the giving of a dowry. And in giving the dowry, the woman became the property of the man. In essence, it was almost like he was buying her. She was his property. Paul is not endorsing male leadership in the home in this section as many easily interpret. In fact, if you actually look closely He's arguing for something that completely went against the culture of that time. What he's suggesting is completely opposite. Now, in verse 21, as we already considered, Paul made it clear that a spirit-filled community was one where each person submitted to the other. Mutual submission, because all are equal in Christ. Now, in your Bible and, and in most English translations, verse 22 reads like this. Wives, submit to your husbands. I read the New International Version this morning. That's exactly what it said. Wives, submit to your husbands. But if you actually read that sentence in the original Greek, the word submit is not there. It actually reads exactly like, sorry, this. Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word submit's not even in there. Why? Because... Once Paul hits verse 22, he's now segued into giving examples of what he was talking about in verse 21, mutual submission. What Paul is saying is this, in the community of faith, we are all equal, and each one submits to the other in order to, to give to one another and to build one another up and to love one another and to give oneself for another. And, and then he says, and as an example of that, Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord, and then continues and says, and husbands to your wives as Christ loved the church. He includes both wives and husbands in his first example, which is coming off of verse 21, because both must equally submit to one another within a spirit-filled community. And so what Paul is writing here would have been shocking to the first century. 
It would have been shocking to those in the community of faith, and it would have been shocking to those who were living in darkness. It wouldn't have mattered. It would have been equally shocking to both and would have gone against everything their culture was teaching. But what Paul is doing here is that he's teaching them that Christian marriage is different than cultural marriage. Paul is saying that in a marriage relationship, in a spirit-filled community, there's a shift in power that is defined not by your status or value that the culture assigns, but by the gospel. The gospel is what assigns value and status, and in light of that, Paul says, all are equal. This is probably a good time for me to thank Jennifer for writing this sermon today. Paul is not advocating for a wife to submit to her husband. He is advocating for husbands and wives to submit to and love one another as equals in a spirit-filled community, as spirit-filled believers. Headship. Now, some of you might say, but pastor, it says that the husband is the head of the wife. It's true. I, I, actually, I noticed that. I, no, I noticed that. So then what, what does that mean? I mean, it says very clearly. Husband's the head of the wife. Well, because words matter, let's look at some words. Now, many of you have been hearing me preach for a lot of years. And you may not have picked up on this, but as a rule, I don't throw the actual Greek words out when I preach. In fact, I teach students, listen, you're going to mispronounce it. It doesn't matter. No one's going to think you're some brilliant person because you, know you think you know how to say the word. Just reference what it means, but don't try and say the word. Like, just leave it. And so as a rule, that's my rule. But today, I'm going to sidestep my rule because of what well, words matter. And today, we need to look closer at the words. There are four different words used in the New Testament for headship. Four. There's four used. The first one is archon. Archon. And it means ruler. And so we find an example of this in Matthew chapter 29, where you know, the story of Jairus, right? He's got a 12-year-old daughter. She's at home. She's sick. She's dying. And Jairus comes to Jesus and to, to try to, you know, convince him to come back to his house and heal his daughter. And of course, segue into that story is the woman who interrupts the procession because she touches his robe, right? That's a story that's familiar to some of us. And so in there, it tells us that Jairus came to Jesus for help, but it also tells us who he is. We're told he is a ruler of the synagogue. He's a he is an archon of the synagogue. He is one who rules over others. He's in a position of authority over other people. So that's one of the four words that's used. The second word that's used is 
despotes, despotes. And this means master. And so when Paul is writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, first couple of verses, Paul is talking to him about, you know, slaves, servants, and masters, and whatever. And the word he uses for a master, one who is the owner of slaves or a servant, is despotes. He is the master of another person. That person is subject to the master. That's the second example. The third example is kurios. Kurios. And this word means Lord. And interestingly, Paul uses this word 16 times in the book of Ephesians alone. 16 times. And every time he uses it, he's always referencing Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord over all. So this is the word that Paul would use when he's talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what he would use. And then the fourth and final word that is used is kafale. Kafale. Now, this word would show up in an example like if you read the story of John the Baptist and the dysfunction of that whole scenario, in the end, John the Baptist is killed because his head has been cut off. His kafale has been removed. And so, this word is used in talking about a human head, an animal head, a part of the anatomy. But it also has a second meaning and another context in which it's used. And actually, Paul is, does use this in other places. And it means source. Source. You may be surprised to hear that of the four words that we've listed here, the word that Paul uses in Ephesians 5, 23, is kafale, either physical head or source. If he wanted to establish a hierarchical relationship of husbands being over their wives, being in charge of, being in authority over, why wouldn't he use one of the other words? They would have been a much better choice to communicate that idea. But that's not the word he used. Instead, he used the word that he also uses in 1 Corinthians. He likes this word. He uses it a lot. And in 1 Corinthians, when he uses it, it means source. The source, he says, or head of every man is God. And he's making that statement because God created man. Therefore, man came from God. God is the source. He says the source of every woman is man, because if we read the Genesis account and we believe it to be true, then we're told that man, woman was created out of the brains of man. Oh, sorry, no, the rib, the rib, rib. I think it was the brains, but the rib of man. And so he's saying the source of woman is man because God created woman from man. And then he goes on to say, the source of Jesus is God. Jesus is a member of the Trinity. He came from God. He's a member of the Trinity. And so he's using this word in 1 Corinthians 
And he's also using it here in Ephesians, and he likes to use it in reference to source. Paul doesn't use this word to establish a ranking of importance or value or power or authority. I mean, to suggest that a man is more important than a woman. But imagine taking that a step further in Paul's writing and say, and, you know, Jesus is more important than the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit's more important than the Father, or the Father is more important than the Son. I mean, Paul would think we're out of our minds for believing that. In fact, if you read Scripture, a man and a woman married in Scripture are actually considered to be one. They're one. They become one in unity and equal. And so it's important to note that also included in this example from Paul is how husbands should act. A husband is to love his wife like Jesus loves the church. Man, that's a high standard. I mean, thankfully, I can live up to that. But I'm telling you, at first, it was a lot of pressure. Andrew, take notes, man. You're getting married in a couple months. Love his wife like Christ loves the church. Well, how does Christ love the church? Serving her. Sacrificing for her. Caring for her. Putting her needs above his own willing to lay down his preferences and his priorities for her, behaving in such a way that is solely intended for the benefit and well-being of his wife. Jesus broke down the wall between headship and authority, dividing these two ideas apart by dying on the cross. And he created a new model of relationships where all are equal members of God's household. Where each one becomes a servant. And no one is the master of another. To see these verses any different is not only to completely miss the lesson that Paul is intending, but is to twist the message to make it opposite to what he's teaching. He's not teaching a hierarchy of power within relationships. He's actually teaching equality within relationships. There's no question that women and girls have been suppressed and dominated and devalued throughout history in most cultures, including our own. And while things are changing, there's still a lot of work to be done. We still see this in the news around the world in 2023. We still see it in many ways in our own culture. A major source of sadness and frustration for me personally is how these attitudes continue in our time, especially within the church. Especially within the church. Specifically within evangelical circles. Where people are taught that the husband is the priest of the home. 
How often have we been told that and taught that and said that, that the husband is the priest of the home? I want you to know this morning that this language is not found anywhere in Scripture. And I believe it only serves to further hold women down. I do not believe that the Bible properly interpreted endorses male leadership in the home. I don't believe that the Bible properly interpreted teaches that the husband is the sole or primary decision maker in the home. That the husband is in charge of household finances. God help us if that was a true in, truth in some marriages. That the husband is in charge of his wife. I haven't seen very many examples of that, let me tell you. I do not believe that the Bible properly interpreted teaches a patriarchal chain of command. And to take it further, I'll take it a step further. I do not believe that the Bible properly interpreted teaches that women should not be pastors teaching men. I don't believe the Bible supports that if properly interpreted. As a side note, in 18 years of teaching preaching at our Bible college, I can say that the best preachers I ever trained, without the exception of Pastor Scott, were female. Always the best preachers. I can't explain it to you. They just were. What a shame that in some churches they would be held back because they're women and because Paul's words are misinterpreted. I believe that Jesus' treatment and the early church's treatment of women presents a very different story than what we see in present-day evangelicalism. If you study church history and you study the Bible closely, you'll notice women were disciples of Jesus. That was unheard of. Lots of rabbis had disciples, but they didn't have women. But Jesus had women. Women were leaders in the church communities. Women were prophets in the early church. After approximately 400 years of prophetic silence in Israel, it is a woman, Elizabeth, that breaks the silence and utters the first prophetic New Testament words. Jesus' first appearance after his resurrection was to a woman, Mary. It was primarily women who stayed at, with Jesus at the cross when most of the men fled in fear. In our own faith tradition, it was primarily women who brought leadership to the early days of Pentecost and then lost their positions when they organized and the men took over. See how that turned out? In churches, the number of women always outnumber the number of men. I have personally known great women theologians, great women preachers. I've learned a great deal from them. And I look forward to the day personally when more of them are lead pastors in our churches and are leading our denominations. Verses like ours today, when misinterpreted as a call for male superiority and domination, only breeds environments 
of dysfunction and abuse of power. Folks, there are many recorded scenarios. In fact, I won't give you the specifics, but I was just reading an article published on February the 9th in Christianity, to, Christianity Today of a high-profile leader and a high-profile church. One example of a woman who was encouraged by the male leaders in her church to stay in an abusive relationship because the belief was you should submit to your husband. Even abusive ones to maintain spiritual integrity. And that is just wrong. It is wrong. It's a 20-year-old story, that one. It's still happening today. And that husband ended up in prison for child molestation and abuse. And she was told to go home. And when the investigation happened and the lawyer brought the findings, he said, let's just forget about it. It's just wrong. And it all stems from a misunderstanding of Scripture. I'm going to invite our worship team back. Paul is teaching here that there is no room for superiority or arrogance in the Spirit-filled community. All are equal. All. Paul is teaching that Christian marriage is different than cultural marriage, that that both must equally submit to each other. Jesus created a new model of relationships where all are equal members of God's household, where each becomes a servant, and only he is the master. Would you stand with us this morning? As Andrew leads us today, I'm going to take the opportunity to slip down to the front and pray with you if you'd like someone to pray with you. Let's just kind of clear the assumption. If someone comes for prayer, it's because they have a wonderful husband and they're coming for something else. I could do an altar call where I say, all of you who have idiot husbands come forward, but then we'd be here all afternoon, right? It's not about that. It's about learning what it means to live in relationship in a spirit-filled community where we show respect and love and understanding of God and his leading and what he expects of us. That's, that's what we're doing. But perhaps you're here this morning and there are needs in your life that have nothing to do with what I talked about today. And I want to be able to pray with you. Shortly, we're going to pray for the Sameo family. Last night, Phil's dad uh, passed away and we're praying for his family as they're mourning today and we're continuing to pray for Ray Chan in the hospital. But before we do that, worship team's going to lead us. I'm going to go down and pray with anyone who'd like prayer this morning. And how deep the Father's love for us How 
vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure and how great the pain of searing the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to Have paid 
Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we are so grateful for how inclusive you are in your grace and in your mercy. That the light of Jesus shone upon us in our darkness and drew us to his light and changed our lives. And as the Apostle Paul shares, we now have that privilege of shining the light of Jesus on the darkness around us so that Jesus can be seen through the unity of a Spirit-filled believer living in a community of Spirit-filled believers. Father, we want to be that Spirit-filled community that loves and serves and supports and cares and encourages and holds one another accountable in love and embraces those deemed to be helpless and hopeless and unworthy. Thank you that the Apostle Paul reminds us of the value of every single one. That the ground at the foot of the cross indeed is level. Gender doesn't determine it. Skin color doesn't determine it. Our country of origin doesn't determine it. The language we speak doesn't determine it. The sin we've committed doesn't determine it. But the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we are invited into the body of Christ equal. Father, I just pray today for, I pray for us as churches that you'd help us to reflect to this world what it means to be a spirit-filled community. And, and sometimes the message that is believed out there is believed because of what we've presented. And in fact, when we look closer at your word, we realize we've been presenting the wrong message. Lord, help us to present the right message, the true message, the message of Jesus, of his love and his grace and his mercy. And I pray that you'd help us in our relationships, whatever relationships they are, whether they are spouses or parenting or leadership in our jobs or within our communities or wherever it is we find ourselves influencing other people, we recognize in those environments we're leaders. And as we do that, may we understand every single moment what it means to be a spirit-filled leader of the value and equality of other human beings. And may your love flow through us in a way that is life-changing for those we meet. God, I pray that when we meet others, their lives are changed for the good. Not because of how wonderful we are, but because of how wonderful you are in us. And God, I pray that as we leave this place today, that even as husbands and wives in an era where marriage is devalued and, and relationships are broken uh, regularly, may we learn what it means 
to be in spirit-filled relationships where each is deemed more valuable than ourselves. We ask these things today, Lord, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for staying. Now you can storm out.